Welcome if you haven't uh, been here before, if you're visiting with friends, relatives, neighbors. Uh, I hope you have been already warmly greeted. I will tell you this and, and <clears throat> that you've, you've come in on an interesting Sunday morning and I have to explain myself. <clears throat> when we talk about the church, we talk about people, not buildings. The body of Christ, is, it's uh, an organism. And uh, yesterday, uh, Bill Albritton uh, went to be with the Lord. Uh, as many have already been uh, finding out through other people in the, in the body. Uh, Bill has been a huge part of this church behind the scenes, uh, and not behind the scenes, uh, very obviously, uh, he's... When I say he was head and shoulders above all of us, uh, you all know <laughs> what I mean by that. So as I was thinking about this last night, you know, Bill was our bookkeeper. He, he completely volunteered for a number of years. Uh, he has kept this church uh, straight financially in terms of uh, a tremendous amount of integrity and character uh, and faithfulness. And he will be extremely missed by us. And so as you come in, I want you to recognize that there may be a, a not-so-joyous tone this Sunday morning by us here in, in this, that are part of this fellowship. Um, we sorrow, uh, but not as those who have no hope. For a guy that ran uh, seven marathons, I didn't know, I knew he'd, he'd run marathons, I didn't know he ran seven but for a guy that has run seven marathons, starting when he was 55, uh, I would say that it'd be appropriate to say that he has uh, run his race and he's finished his course. And he has crossed the ultimate finish line to the shouts of a cloud of witnesses cheering him on, and now he gets to rest. And I think in some ways, we all are a little jealous of that. I know there's a part of me that looks forward to that day. This world is so tiring, especially Christmas season, isn't it? I mean, for some reason, the time where should, we should be at peace and at rest seems to be the time of year that is just the craziest, and there's so many demands and obligations. And so I want to encourage you guys today, um, I, you know, we'll, we'll be in some difficult passages today, I think very appropriate for... Uh, the circumstance that we find ourselves in today. Let's do this. Let, let's get Bibles out while we talk. Uh, if you have your Bibles, John chapter 8 is where we'll be. If you don't have a Bible, you didn't bring one with you, uh, you don't have an app or some other type of technological device, then just put your hand up and the guys in the back will bring a Bible to you. When you get it, uh, if you don't know your way through the Bible, we understand we didn't start out knowing our way through the Bible either. Somebody teased me and when I first got saved and said, hey, Steve, why don't you show us where the book of Hesitations is? Oh, okay, book of Hesitations. I didn't know where that was. It wasn't a book in the Bible. They were kidding me. So John is the fourth gospel in the New Testament. You can find the page number in the table of contents in your Bible. And I think the passage that we'll be reading this morning, we'll, we'll read it together will be uh, Bill will have provided for us a timely reminder of uh, oh I broke here there we go of, of some very important things that we're going to talk about today so even in his passing he's still serving the church and serving you all uh, by his life being a reminder uh, to be ready to be ready 
<clears throat> Lord, we're reminded this morning of the truth that oftentimes we try to hide from. The thing that ties us together as humanity, that we are pilgrims and sojourners. We are travelers on this earth. That we do not put down deep foundations here because we cannot stay. So Lord, everybody, uh, I pray, that's here this morning, would have a heart that's open. A mind to think. A mind that is willing to embrace uh, the difficult thoughts of life here and its temporariness. A mind that is willing to consider what happens next and why they believe it. Father, I pray that the light of your word would penetrate every heart this morning, including mine, with reminders, with challenges, Lord, that maybe some would be pricked in their hearts and and cry out, what must we do to be saved? Lord, we pray that your your spirit would would indwell this word with all the power and all the authority that comes from you as we open up uh, the most amazing book ever written, spirit-directed, spirit-written, God-breathed, your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. It's a tough morning to preach for me this morning, but again, I think that uh, in John chapter 8 will be some very pertinent information for us to discuss. We left off in John chapter 8, I have to get there myself, Verse 20, Jesus had been uh, preaching and teaching in the temple. They had been uh, challenging him uh, about his testimony, about himself, who he says he was. It's one thing to, to tell other people about yourself, uh, but it's another thing when other people confirm what you say about yourself. So uh, we're going to see and, and hear more of Jesus' preaching to these religious people. We call them the Pharisees. Uh, some of you have come to know that these are are basically the Jewish religious people. These are, are the people that, that, others would, that the average person would have looked at and said if there was anybody that was close to God, it would be these guys. That was the external impression they had. You know, it, it's easy to look on the outside, but God tells us what really matters is where, what's on the inside. So it's easy to fool people with outside stuff. Anybody, a, a monkey can put on a suit and carry a Bible. So it's easy to, tr- to change the outside and to make the outside look impressive, to make the outside look spiritual. And they were masters at it. And, and as are so many in our world, in our, in our society, in our time, and, and in the church today. So we begin with verse 21. Then Jesus said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. So the Jews said, verse 22, Will he kill himself because he says, Where I go, you cannot come? And he said to them, You are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am He, in italics, pay attention to that, we'll come back to it. If you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Then they said to Him, Who are you? 
And Jesus said to them, Just what I have been saying to you from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the Father. Then Jesus said to them, When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please him. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. So there's some piercing going on in this discussion that Jesus is having. To them, evidently, his words are taking root in some of their lives. Many of those had, that had previously doubted, many that had sort of written him off, are now hearing what he's saying, and ooh, it's making an impact in their lives. And, and they're converting, so to speak. They're believing. So what is it about what he's saying? I, I read the whole thing just so you get an overall view. He began with uh, Jesus saying to them, I will go away, you will seek me, and will die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. I'm sure when he said to them, I'm going away, they were probably like, oh, it's about time. You know, we're tired of this guy. He just is a, a, a wrench in all of our tradition and a wrench in our work. We were better off without him. So there's probably a sense of, well, we'd be glad to get rid of this guy. And, and that's what they've been trying to do, right? To, to, to get rid of him. They're going to end up crucifying him to try to get rid of him. But you can't kill life. So uh, I'm sure that there was a part of them, okay, we're glad to hear he's leaving. But then he says this, you will seek me and will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. Now that doesn't seem fair, does it? I mean, nobody likes to be excluded. You talk with teenagers, if you have older siblings, younger siblings, sometimes the older kids want to do something, and, and the younger kids want to tag along. They say, well, no, sorry, you can't come. This is just for us older kids. And, oh, man, why, what do you mean I can't come? And the kid, younger kids can get upset about that. Now, I have a little dog, a little chihuahua, that's a combination between a chihuahua and a dachshund, and she loves to ride in the car. And this morning I was heading out to church and opened the door and, Went out to get something, and while the door was open, she, she's fast. She takes advantage. Man, as soon as that door is open, she is in the car. And she sat in the seat just waiting to go. And I, I, it was so funny because I'm on my way here to preach, you know, and, and to, to uh, teach through this passage. And I grabbed Sandy Joe. She weighs all of, you know, three pounds or whatever she is. And I said to her, sorry, you can't come. And I was like, whoa, I can use that this morning. <laughs> so I put her out of the car, and she just sat and watched me drive away. Sorry, you can't come. So the question is, where is Jesus going that they can't come? What is he speaking about? He's speaking about, and you can read John 14. We'll get there in a number of weeks. Maybe by 2015 we'll get there. Uh, But John 14 talks about Jesus is going where? He's going to the Father. He's going back to be with, with God the Father, where he started where he was before he came, uh, what we celebrate at Christmas, the incarnation, God in flesh. This is such a mystery. It is a mystery that, that God was made known in the flesh. See, that's where he's going back to the Father. That's where, you know, when, when it comes to funeral time, everybody wants to believe that that's where they're going. We call it heaven biblical name for it hard to understand hard to comprehend in some ways 
But the important part about swift, it's reconciled to God. Now, the problem is, he says, you're going to seek me. At some, when I go away, you're going to seek me. They're going to still be looking for a way, t- for their way to God, the Savior. And you're, you're not going to find me. He says, you're going to die in your sin. Now, I've thought a lot about, you know, how, ways I don't want to die. There's a lot of ways I don't want to die. Those of you that know me, I'm not a good swimmer. You know, there's, there's, that's one way I don't want to die. But, but those are all, phys- speaking physically, you know, the, the way that, that you don't want to die is to die, as Jesus put it, in your sin. And, and if you lived, if you've lived in your sin, if you've lived for pleasure, then you will die in that same sin. But now here's the, the, the thing, and we'll, we'll, it's not because Jesus is saying, sorry, you're excluded. You can't come. Heaven's not for you. God's not for you. We'll see why as we go farther exactly why he is saying that, uh, that they can't come. You know, there are some places in the world that are exclusive. There just are. Um, I just printed out this article. This is, uh, the article is by CNN. It's titled, Five Far-Flung Tourist Gems You Can Only Get To By Boat. So there are some places on this world that you can only get to by boat. One of them is a a pub you, you won't be visiting there. Uh, it's, uh, it's Old Forge Pub at, off of the coast of Scotland. And it's only accessible by boat. It's Britain's most re- remote watering hole. Uh, they've won hundreds of awards uh, for their food and, and their atmosphere. And he's, they say in the article, we get hippies, millionaires, musicians, novelists, actors, poets, and politicians. She said of visitors who, who park their yachts. That would be exclusive to me. Uh, I couldn't go there. Uh, park their yachts at the pub's private moorings. It is one of a number of attractions around the world that can only be accessed by boat. Another one that they mention here is the Assumption of Mary Pilgrimage Church in Slovenia. Slovenia may not have an abundance of natural islands. In fact, it only has one. But what it lacks in numbers, it makes up for in jaw-dropping beauty. Bled Island, located in northwestern Slovenia near the Austrian border, sits in an emerald lake surrounded by the Julian Alps. Man, it sounds beautiful. Visitors can get to the island on a traditional wooden row barge known as a pletna. No motorboats are allowed on the lake to visit the 15th century Baroque church of the Assumption. According to folklore, a husband who can carry his bride up the 99 steps from the dock to the church is guaranteed a happy marriage. Well worth the pilgrimage. I'm not commenting on that. <laughs> Sometimes I think, what could I say? No, I'm leaving that one alone. But here's the point I'm trying to make. That there are some places that have limited access. That there's only one way. Now you can say, well, I want to fly a plane there. Well, there's no landing strip. You can't do it. I mean, it's beautiful, that place we just talked about. That church. Wouldn't you love to visit that place? Well, if you want to. There's only one way to get there. Well, they're so narrow-minded, those people that have that, that have that church. They're so narrow-minded. How can they say there's only one way? Well, that's just the reality. There's one way. You can only get there by boat. And, and the same way for these Pharisees. You know, what would it have meant to them when Jesus said to them, 
You will die in your sins. They had the sacrificial system. They had all of their religious routine. They had everything they thought would make them right with God. But when God came to present himself to them, they rejected him. And, and so a lot of people have this very, very, and, and you'll hear it too, folks. Listen, this is very educational because this Christmas you're going to talk to people, I hope. Uh, and they're going to challenge you on your beliefs about, well, God is so, if God you know, is so loving, why would he, what's the rest of that statement? Why would he send people to hell? Well, let's read on and we'll come back to that question. I'll leave you hanging on that one. So you see, you'll seek me, you'll die in your sins. Where I go, you cannot come. We'll find out why they can't go there, what the limiting factor is. So the Jews said, will he kill himself because he says, where I go, you cannot come. So this is sort of a dig at Jesus. And, and you know, it's a subtle dig for us because we don't understand that what the Jews thought, what their belief was that a person that committed suicide was relegated to the lowest depths of hell. Now, that, that was their cultural belief. And so when they say, when Jesus said, where I'm going, you cannot come, they said, oh yeah, right, you're probably going to kill yourself. And of course then, no, we can't go there. Right, Jesus, we're, we're not going to go there. So they were saying that no, he's going to hell, and, and we, that's right, no, we can't follow you there. And Jesus is just shaking his head, no doubt. And he said to them, this is why they didn't understand what he was saying. He said to them, you are from beneath. I am from above. You are of this world. I am out of this world. I'm not of this world. Therefore, I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So a couple of things before we we move through this. He says to them, look, you're from beneath. You're you're planted and rooted in the world. You're worldly. And and that may speak of some of you. Just because you sit in church doesn't make you spiritual. Matter of fact, do you remember the story of of Nicodemus and Jesus back in John chapter 3? Where Nicodemus comes to to Jesus at night and wants to know more about entering the kingdom. Nicodemus was the prime teacher of the Jews. I mean, if anybody should have known about God... It was Nicodemus. He was the one teaching others about God. And what did Jesus say to him? Unless you are born again. Now we say born again. But the Greek word is a word anothen. A-N-O-T-H-E-N. And it, it's uh, used 13 times in the New Testament. And the, the top use is the top translation of that Greek word into English is from above. Not again. It can mean, it can mean again. It can mean first, but the primary translation of that word is from above. So what Nicodemus was hearing from Jesus quite literally was, Nicodemus, unless you are born from above, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus says here, see, I am from above, but you are still planted in the world. They were the, the light. You know, when, we, when Jesus talks about dying in their sins, Uh, The light is right there, just like it is for some of you this morning. We're already starting to see visitors and people bringing friends and relatives to church, and here you are, and and we're shining the light of God's Word right here. 
And, and some of you are choosing to keep your eyes closed. He says, I'm from above. You are from beneath. Uh, you are of this world. So there's this big contrast going, here's what you are, here's what I am, here's what you are. That's why you can't go where I'm going because you're stuck here on the earth. You're earthly minded. You're so focused on the things of the earth and, and your progress and all that, and your religion and your tradition. And, and you've missed spiritual things. You've missed heavenly things. And I wonder if that's not speaking to somebody this morning. Are you, would you define yourself as worldly? Are, are you so caught up in the things of the world that that's all you spend your time thinking about, all you spend your time dwelling on? Then heaven would be no fun for you because there's no worldly stuff there. And if you're into your stuff and your trinkets and your gadgets and all that stuff, it's not wrong to have those things. Please, I hope you understand. It's not wrong to have those things, to, to have possessions, but they can't possess you. And so the cure is right in front of them. And they refuse to accept it. And so that's why they can't go. Look what he says. They're, you know, and Christmas time, great time to discuss this. Man, where are you from? Are you from have you been born from above? Here's how, here's how you do that. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. And that's plural. The first time it was die in your sin as an overall. You know, we inherited this thing called sin. We all have a disease called sin. You're born with it. And if you, those of you that have had children, small children, you know they come out knowing self. Knowing selfish, knowing me, knowing how... The kids come out knowing how to lie, don't they? I mean, they learn that stuff. They know that stuff from a young age. You don't have... You've got to teach them to tell the truth. They know how to be selfish. They're masters of manipulation. <laughs> Did you say not true, Thomas? I'll talk to your mom and grandma about that. We'll see. They knew you when you were that little. <laughs> Did you know that um, this, the U.S. leads on deaths from treatable disease? More patients die in the U.S. from diseases that could be treated by timely intervention than in any other leading industrialized country, a study by the senior health academic showed on Monday. What they're saying is, for a variety of reasons, that there's treatable diseases. This is the United States, not Africa or India. Of the industrialized nations, the U.S. leads uh, for people that could have been cured but weren't. The treatment was there. The cure was there. They just didn't get it for one reason or another. I don't know what you think happens when you die. I don't know. You know if you don't believe in sin, if you don't believe, sin just means missing the mark. Again, um, not doing what's right all the time. That, that do you do what's right all the time? Anybody here that, that, that does right all the time in every situation does exactly what needed to be done? Yeah, me neither. I'm close. No, <laughs> no we're all pretty far away. I mean, if we're having a moment of honesty here, I think we're all pretty far away. So we can all agree that, that I don't know what you call it, but the Bible calls it sin. And it's a universal problem through all time. From the, we inherited this from Adam, the first man. When he sinned in the garden, disobeying God, uh, 
it, it affected, it, it changed something in him that then he passed on to everyone else who's ever been born. And the, the proof of that, you say, well, I don't believe it. The proof of, proof of that is that people die. That's the proof. You can't argue with that. Death wasn't God's first plan. It came because of sin. And sin brought death. That's why people die. Because we have a sin problem on the earth. But there's a cure for sin, yes. And if there's a cure for sin, what else is there a cure for? Death. The physical body dies. When, when someone says to you or says to me that Bill Albritton died yesterday, don't believe him. He just moved, right, Dorothy? He changed addresses. Because he knew where the cure was. And here's the, so I don't know what you believe happens when you die. If you say, well, I don't believe in sin, I don't believe in, in life after death, then I hope you're right for your sake. But the question is, on what do you base that faith? Everybody, you know, when it comes to life after death, now we as Christians say, well, we have proof. Why? Because there's an empty tomb in Jerusalem. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Eyewitnesses saw it. I mean, there's, there's lots of proof. But today, right now, I can't say, here's my proof, other than pointing to you back to history, the, the empty tomb and all those things. But if those aren't good enough, I can't produce for you any proof right now here in scientific that there is life after death, judgment before the, the, the living God. I can't produce that. But likewise, you can't produce for me proof that there isn't. You can't prove for me scientifically, without a shadow of a doubt, that when a person dies, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, that's all there is. Because here's the thing. Do you know everything? Anybody here that knows everything? We're, we're really, you know, limiting things here. Anybody here that knows everything? Right, we, we don't know everything. We're still learning as a human race a lot of stuff. So is it possible that the existence of God and eternal judgment is something that exists outside the realm of your understanding or your knowledge? It's possible. It's possible. But pride in us says, well, we know everything. We know that there is no God. How do you know? How, I hope. So I don't know what you think happens when you die. I know what God's word says. And I haven't found anybody that's more accurate than God about what happens in eternity. So today is a day of, of reckoning maybe for some. You know, we, we've, we've been given an an example of the fact that let me read something to you this is uh second corinthians chapter five says therefore if anyone is in christ he's a new creation old things have passed away behold all things have become new like a new birth in christ A new beginning. Now all things are of God, not of the world, not of of this world, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses or the way they crossed the line to them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So this is something we tell others about. Now, verse 20, this is one of my favorites. Now then, we are, I am an ambassador for Christ. I speak on his behalf. He sent me. As though God were pleading through me, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. 
the cure is, is, you know, so many people are so stubborn. You know, somebody, you got somebody stubborn in your family that no matter how sick they are, they ain't going to the doctor. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be limping and, you know, a separated appendage. It's, I'll, no, I'm not going to the doctor. I'll just stick it back on or I don't know, whatever it is. I'm not going to the doctor. You got to drag me there. No, but there's help for you. No, too much pride to go. Can't admit I'm sick. I never get sick. Look, sin is a serious sickness. And I don't, again, I don't know where you are with that or what you believe, but sin is a serious sickness. But it's completely treatable. And look what he says back at John chapter 8. For if you do not believe that I am, and the word he is in italics. Do you notice that in your Bible? That's added for clarity by the translators. But really what Jesus said was, if you do not believe that I am, I am. That's the, the term used to speak of God. It goes back to Exodus. Moses says to God, well, who should I tell Pharaoh sent me? Who should I tell the people sent me? What's your name? And he says, tell him, I am sent you. Not I was, not I will be, not I'm going to be, not I might be. I am. It's the eternal present. I am. We say, well, I was. I, a lot of us, the older you get, the better you used to be. Well, I used to be. I'm a has-been. But God is the, it lives in the eternal now. So when Jesus says, if you don't believe that I am, he is clearly claiming deity. Clearly. You can't argue with it. I am. So, and he says, if you do not believe, then you will die in your sins. So the converse should be true, shouldn't it? Then if you do believe... You won't die in your sins. You you won't have that cloud hanging over you at the time of of death and judgment. Be ashamed to sit in prison. And some people die in their bitterness. They die in their anger. They die in regret. I think that's the worst hell, by the way. Getting 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 there and realizing that what I rejected all my life was true after all. And not being able to change it at that point. But God is giving, you have today. There's no promises for tomorrow. And he says clearly, listen, reason. Something about death universally doesn't make sense to us. That can't be, it doesn't calculate. It can't be it, can it? It can't be. Otherwise, life is very cruel and unjust. And we believe that that's not the way it is. Verse 25, then they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I've been saying to you from the beginning. This is what we've been, this is what I've been telling you guys all along. I'm not giving you any new information. I've already said everything that needs to be said. You know who I am. It's, look, for some of you today, it's not a matter of more knowledge. More knowledge is not going to make you believe. You already know the truth. You just have to accept it. You have to humble yourself. Confess that that you need help. And that Jesus is God's help to save you from your sins. That's what Christmas is about. He came to save his people from their sins. So do people send does God send people to hell? 
People go because they reject the cure that God has given for the, the sickness of sin in the world. I'm just what I've been saying from the beginning. I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true. And I speak to the world those things which I have heard from him. If Jesus is saying it, where did it come from? It came from God himself. If, if, well, some say, oh, I've never heard God speaking to me. Please don't confuse this pastor with God. Not what I'm saying. But what we are talking about is the word of God. So this is God's word to you today. December 2013. Jesus saying it. Recorded for us to read. Verse 27. They did not understand that he spoke to them of the father. Then Jesus said to them. When you lift up the Son of Man, that's a, another way that Jesus titles himself. He uh, has origins, both human origins and divine origins. When he's lifted up means when he is crucified. When you lift up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am. And that I do nothing of myself, but as my Father taught me, I speak these things. And he who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone, for I always do those things that please Him. You know, we can all say that, can't we? I always do the things that please God. Jesus can say that. He's born from above. And he, he, where, where He came from, that's where He's going back to. He always, I wish I could say that. Man, I'm working on it. Want, I want to do the things that please God. Some don't care. They want to do the things that please themselves. And some come to church with that. I tell, you know, you come to church with just to, for pleasing yourself. That's what, not what church is about. We're a group of people that are struggling with this flesh, struggling with our, our, that sin tendency that we were born with, but struggling as born-again believers, filled with the Spirit, to choose spiritual things over earthly things. To choose others over ourselves to choose love over grudges and bitterness to choose loving our neighbor as opposed to hating our neighbor wishing he'd build a fence i want to do those things that please god i want to do them today these pharisees these religious people it's fascinating that he's challenging them this way isn't it I mean, they had all of the outward things that meant religion, just as some do today. But they were not born again. And they rejected when, when God came to them, when light came, when the cure came, when freedom came. They're talking to the one who sets men free. And they're saying, we don't want to be free. We don't, we don't want to be free your way. And he's gonna, that's the next section we'll get into. Uh, whenever I don't know what we're doing next week, if it's John 8 or not, I have to sit down and look at the... Next week's not Christmas, is it? No, two weeks. Okay. John 8, next week we'll continue. Uh, if I could have Phil uh, and the musicians come up. I just want to read. As they come up, I want to read this last line before we, we close for today. And I don't know if these words are having an impact on some here. As I came in, I met some new people, uh, new folks, and... I, I never assume that, that, you know, just because you're sitting here in a gymnasium in Fluvanna County on a Sunday morning, 
that you've been reconciled to God. You can't do it yourself. You can't swim to that pub on the island. You need a, you need a boat. I, I couldn't secure my own salvation. I'm not that good of a swimmer. And neither are you. The boat is Christ. And all you have to do is get in and enjoy the ride. And He takes you to the destination. He's the author and finisher of our faith. He's the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. All things were created by Him, through Him, and for Him, and by Him all things consist. And He is as real as real can be. But you've got to see Him with eyes of faith. And he spoke these words, verse 30. As he spoke these words, many believed. Many believed. Maybe uh, there's someone here this morning that came in. uh, As we say, you have a drug problem. Someone drug you here this morning. Come on, we're going to church. It's almost Christmas. Let's go. This is what I want for some of you, maybe wives or or moms and dads. My best best thing you could give us for Christmas is just to come to church with us. There's a reason they ask that. There's a reason they say that. And so maybe you're hearing this this morning and going, huh. He's ugly, but he makes a little sense when he talks about these things. I want to invite us to stand. We're going to close with a song that uh, Phil chose to reflect the passage as well as the day. Uh, that we are sorrowing with joy.